Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, your one-stop shop for peace and love on the airwaves, a safe space for people of color and our allies. Join us every week as we have real dialogue with people going through real life. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some. Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, and this is your host, Rebel Queen. I am here in the studio today with Ella Shea Farmer. Good afternoon. And hey, everybody. So listen, today our topic is, um, what is consent? And um, I feel like it's really necessary to have this conversation. You know, we've been discussing so much um, about healing, about uh, healing from trauma specifically, um, and particularly sexual trauma since the... Uh, opening of the R. Kelly documentary. Um, and, and I think that we're kind of in a really slippery place now because um, so many of us are awakening to the fact that we've been traumatized and that we need to heal. And we're kind of, um, it's difficult. We're in a space where it's difficult to have these conversations. Um, and I think it's important for us to hear each other and understand, hear with an understanding when we do begin the dialogue. Um, and I think in order to have this dialogue, we have to understand there are a lot of men out there who are really not truly understanding consent um, because it's a cultural thing. You know, it's imagining, I don't know, I'm going to use a really simple example of the Sneetches, the Dr. Seuss story of the Sneetches. Um, you know, there was a group of Sneetches that was better than the other one. And I think that we all know that, you know, it's a, uh, some kind of Dr. Seuss character, but we all know in a society where one group has a privilege that another group has, they have a tendency to look at things um, different than other people. They don't really see the needs of the quote-unquote lesser group. Um, so I think it's difficult for us to have conversation about space and, 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 and boundaries and consent um, because we're approaching on people's understanding about themselves and identity. Um, what do you think? Well, for me, the main thing with consent is um, being aware that you've crossed the boundary someone set. Mm -hmm. um, if someone, when someone's put in a position where they have to consent, it means that a boundary was tested for this person, and they have to make a decision whether or not they will allow that pass. That doesn't necessarily mean it's something that's not in line with their beliefs or their value systems. It's just for that moment, they have to make a call. And in the process of making that call, there can be miscommunication, misunderstanding. We deal with nonverbal and verbal communication. Um, one minute this person says no, the next minute this person says yes. And um, the overall con conversation about consent should not just be limited to sexual consent. It should be um, expanded to financial consent, and even um, a personal space, spiritual consent. Like, even do you do you are you okay with the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on the door every Sunday? I mean, mm -hmm. every day trying to get you to come. You know, I don't take offended to it, but there's people that are offended spiritually by someone challenging their belief system by knocking on the door, offering the watchtower. So, when, when we talk about consent, we really do limit it to behavior and sex. 
we really should expand it to a challenge of boundaries, a discussion on boundaries. A discussion on boundaries, and I think that when we talk about boundaries, we have to understand what we mean. You know, there are things, boundaries are a set of rules that you have to decide on um, that are designed to keep you safe, that are designed to keep you safe, right? So um, some people may have boundaries that's a little bit too rigid because of their past experiences, um, but then other people, it really doesn't matter what they are um, because I think we all have a process. But the idea is, is to be able to have a conversation with somebody and say that this doesn't make me comfortable and I'm, I'm not really consenting. Now, the challenge is, like you said, lots of us are in a place where we're not able to have that conversation because we're out of touch with our inner feelings for whatever reason. Um, you know, how do you know if you're out of touch with your inner feelings? That's a whole journey within itself. But I think to be aware of giving consent, that's key. Um, because as we talked about um, back in, I, I, just a TV show. Maid Men is a TV show? Mad Men. Mad Men, I'm sorry. Mad I, I, I called yeah. it Maid Men. See, now I feel like an old lady. No. <laughs> you know how you get those old people that are calling it Facebook instead of Facebook? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, it's Mad Men. Mad <laughs> yes, Mad Men. Um, Mad Men, you know, I keep hearing that I should watch that series because, you know, women, all, a lot of women relate to it because they see the chauvinism and, you know, the power politics going chauvinism on. Chauvinism is strong. It's strong. But, you know, so we're in a generation where this was just a generation ago, right? This is, this is just, you know, this is not a hundred years ago where it was okay for men to say things that, or do things that would be considered offensive in the workplace. That was just within that was our just lifetime. Office talk. Office talk, you know, it, it, there was a time where it was a really hard thing. I remember early on in my career when I started working in uh, corporate, um, we talked about it a little bit uh, last week. Um, there was a guy there at my job that had a thing about touching women. And there's always the idea about believability. So I think that we have, in order to have understand consent, we have to understand that it's filtered through perception, right? Because... Number one, when you're operating with people from a different generation, that the first thing they do is question whether or not a woman can say no and she doesn't really mean it. Mm -hmm. And, her, you know, th that's what it was right back in the 40s and 50s. A lot of men felt that she can say no. That means yes. How many people? Well, we've heard there's this still, in movies. There's still a theme. You can't rape your wife. Right. It's a theme. It is a theme. It's been within our lifetime, within this lifetime, that the idea is that a wife can actually not give consent for her husband to have sex with her at a particular time, that's new. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so we have to understand that consent is not just about, we have the tendency to have this conversation and put it on the person. The burden is on the person, but we also have to understand the social confines and history around the, you know, this person's traditional ability to even give consent. Agreed. Like, if a person... And this is an honest question. If a person does not say no, does that mean they said yes? Right. And that's where we are, you know, because the person allows the violation of boundaries to progress and never say no. The perpetrator feels that it's a yes. So, so, and, and so let's look at an example of why would a person actually not want to consent to something but not want to say no? And I try to give an example that's really relatable. And I think one relatable example 
is a woman walking down the street being catcalled. Oh, because you are really in a position. You are in a position. Either you are going to be harassed the whole way out the gate until you give them what they want, or you're a bitch for not giving them what they and want. And you are actually subject to violence. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, I had a con- I had a really heated debate with a former coworker on my Facebook page about that some time ago because he's telling me, I'm a woman. This is my experience. I'm going to know because <laughs> I am a woman. <laughs> so... You know, um, it's kind of weird when, you know, I'm a person in that demographic and I'm saying this is my experience and you're telling me, no, that doesn't happen. Well, you know, it's here. And that's a perfect example of if I, if I describe to you what consent is, it, you have it's not about whether or not you should believe me. Right. It doesn't need right. to be validated. Right. What I give consent to doesn't need to be validated. And I think that's often where we start. You're doing too much, you know, and a woman walking down the street getting catcalled. I mean, that's a very good example. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of times where you, you have to make it. I don't want to say anything. Most of the time, you don't want to say anything. But then if you say something, what are you going to say? Right. No it's, matter what you say, other than I want to I want your number or, you know, giving other than complying with the request correct. of the cat caller. Anything else can result in negative behavior In negative behavior. Anything else. Anything. So no one asked to be catcalled <laughs> you know she's not asking for it she's not looking for it she's just walking down the street did you i know i showed did i send you that video with the uh the poor poor woman trying to get gas and those men yes. were yes that was that was probably the most recent example i can uh. think of and this lady was trying to get around them and they were like swarming around her blocking her path wouldn't let her at the window and you could hear whoever was recording was calling her all kinds of bitches. Yeah, that bitch gonna get chose tonight. She she was just trying to get gas. She was not trying to be chosen. She's not trying to be chosen. There were so <laughs> many different violations of boundaries and disrespect. And I'm not sure. I, I could tell she was not consenting to any of that because she did not get loud. I could tell she didn't want to get loud because in, I'm looking at her like if I were in that situation, if I would have responded the way that triggered me response it, there would have been violence but then i would have really i would have been attacked it's it's what was her against like what 10 15 guys yes, how, what was her? she supposed to do push one of them right what was this, she supposed was to do like, to get the, out there of it was like at least 10 it looked like at least to me maybe it was just overwhelming it were about it looked like it was about five really yeah, it was about four or five and there were other ones in the background but there oh, were four so, or five that were like on her in yeah her okay space. so those were background people yeah. that were just watching they were they were they were not stopping these men one of them was recording, but there were about four or five men in her personal space. Yeah, as right she attempted her. to purchase gas, yeah, where they she followed had to back her up, from up the window. to and she, yeah, she circumvented one of them, <laughs> came back, got her gas, and then was followed to her car. See, so you know, there, there's a thing, you know, consent is is somebody voluntarily giving you permission. Consent doesn't involve coercion exactly. and, and intimidation. And so you can't get into a situation, you can't look at a situation where your men who are physically stronger, typically, because I know some women that can whoop some tail. I mean, I know some women that hey, are, are um, that can beat men, <laughs> they can. Um, but typically, you know, a lot of us can't. And, and so you're one woman surrounded by a group of men, you're, that's not, you can say yes, but that's the same thing as, being at a police department and the cops are interrogating you and they're basically telling you, you, you finna say yes 
or are you about to do this time right here? Yeah, and is that really consent? That's not consent. Is that, you know? Right, and, and but again, it's it's about understanding the intent of, of the action and understanding the intent of the interaction with the person. Because if your intent is to have a genuine interaction with the person, I think you would be more concerned, particularly a physical interaction for a first time early on in a relationship, then why would you not want to be concerned about that person's level of comfort? But if your intent is to just get your own needs met, mm -hmm. now consent is going to be debatable. That's true. Because you're not valuing the other person's boundaries. Right. Because you're more concerned with the needs you have rather than the person's need for space. So let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about boundaries. Um, of course, they're more valuable to you than any, <laughs> anyone you come across. Um, so it's very important for us as individuals to know our walls and know our lines and know when we're put in a position to put those boundaries up for discussion. And you know, figure out whether or not you're going to stay firm on them. Now, it's not always a good thing to stay firm on your boundaries because a lot of them could be set for the wrong reasons. Or, right, set with the wrong intent. Set with the wrong intent. You know, mm -hmm. they could be fear-based boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, mine was, um, I was in a bad relationship, so from now on, I'm never going to cook for a man because <laughs> they don't need to eat for me. And that was a real boundary, I said. And I, and I stayed true to that for a long time. I would not prepare a meal for a man that I was just dating. And that was a real legitimate boundary for me. Looking back on it, it was fear-based. It wasn't necessarily healthy boundaries, <laughs> but that I felt that it protected me from unwanted connections. And it does. It does protect you from unwanted connections. Um, on the other hand, um, there are times, like you said, that it could be healthy. Then there could be times where the boundary could be very unhealthy. I know for me, um, I'm not really sure, but I for for this particular experience I'm thinking of. But I think about it this way: you know, it's about awareness as to where we are. So if we understand, um, I'm always bringing up aces, adverse childhood experiences, um, and adverse childhood experiences are basically a set of things that, um, circumstances that studies have found, people that go through these set of circumstances, if you, you know, happen to experience uh, food instability, that turns out to be a traumatic experience and they gain this information from stories. So if you look at ACEs, you know, and this, it goes on, food instability, housing instability, um, a person in your family being incarcerated. And so if you look at that um, and understand what, the things that comprise these ACEs scores are, it makes up for a lot of our personal experiences. So you're really looking at a community full of people, a whole, you know, a large, it's largely a part of our culture where we're broken and healing from these things. So everybody's at a different place. Mm -hmm. So in your early stages of, of awareness, some people aren't even aware. I wasn't aware that I needed to heal in the beginning. I had no idea. I, I, was, I was like, yeah, all those things happened to me, but that's life. I had no idea that I was functioning in a way and operating on a belief system that wasn't helpful and often toxic. Um, so, so, so somebody early on, they may not have a firm idea on what their boundary is, or they may be uncomfortable. Like I know I've experienced situations where I've experienced, uh, you know, 
trauma in the past, physical sexual trauma. So for me, for a person, particularly a man, to get really close up on me and I don't see it coming, that make I'll freeze because I don't see it coming. And next thing I know, there is a person in my proximity that I had no idea was about to be there. So for me, that's a challenge. And I don't know whether or not that's a good thing, but I'm just going to let it be. I know I can work on that. It's I'm becoming aware. So you can't. Now, if I were a person that you rolled up on me and said something or did something sexual and I didn't respond, that doesn't mean I'm consenting. Right. It means you're just uh, almost, would it safe to say dissociating? I, I, I've had that moment. happen. Yeah. Just stop. You just stop. Like, I, you know, you, you because you don't. It's like you some people may you may have to take a minute to figure out what's happening. I think I've mentioned to you before oh, yeah. meeting people on dating online. I remember one guy, I uh, actually it's happened more than once, I've met somebody at a public place. First thing he does, we get out the car, you know, headed on in to like a donut shop as he grabs me and sticks his tongue down my throat. Who expects that to happen? Do you expect that to no. happen? Okay. No. So that's not normal, right? No. Right. So if, uh, so for me, because I didn't respond, I'm in shock. That doesn't mean that I enjoyed it. That's not it. a yes. No. It's just not a yes. And any if you read it. Anyway, other than no, you're searching. You're searching. You know, you're looking for a yes. So it's about being aware of that person's boundaries because, I mean, at the end of the day, it, regardless of whether or not I'm attracted to you, shouldn't matter as to whether or not I have boundaries. If you know that you wouldn't, under normal circumstances, walk up to a person and just grab them and stick your tongue down their throat, then maybe you might want to consider that. You know what I mean? It's just, I'm just trying to share the example of what it looks like. You know, your intent in that relationship plays a lot with your understanding of consent and your willingness to respect this person's boundaries. I think one, a huge problem, all these men are worried about, oh my God, you know, I'm going to say something offensive. You know, I'm going to have to worry about this. No, don't even worry about that. How about starting with respecting somebody's boundaries? Yeah. Ask what makes them feel comfortable. If you're confused, ask what makes them feel comfortable. Well, saying things like "I need to control my speech" focuses the attention, takes the attention off of you and as an individual, and puts the responsibility of care on the people who are complaining. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, since you all are saying these things, now I'm going to have to do these things to adjust to what you're saying. Instead of maybe I should adjust what I'm saying, mm -hmm. or maybe I should adjust my thoughts or my behavior, mm -hmm. or maybe I should check myself to see how I am corroborating what they're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, that's never the case. It's, oh, well, we're going to have to be more careful. We're going to have to start writing consent forms. Right. You know, now we have to, every time we go somewhere, we're going to have to sign a form. And even still, that's not a positive attitude because what you're saying in a consent form is we can do whatever here, but you can't sue me. Right. You're not saying that you're respecting my boundaries. You're right. not saying you're respecting my space and you're going to care for me. You're saying what happens here stays here. You know, I think one thing that people tend to um, not understand about relationships is something very, 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 very simple. You know, you can get a lot more from somebody by establishing a relationship with them. And I think we get that. Right. It's the reason why people, you know, love bomb folks and gaslight and all. You know, we, we coerce people into all kinds of relationships to get what we want. But what if we establish a relationship with a person, whether it's for business purposes, for personal purposes? And we base that on some form of integrity by recognizing and respecting that other individual. Now, you you coercion works great. We've seen that happen. Lots of people get coerced into things. But those relationships aren't typically successful 
Right, because there's a basis there. It's based on something that's not very strong, that's not honest and authentic. But imagine if you establish a relationship with somebody, a business relationship with somebody, we can say, for example, once they begin to see that you're willing to respect their boundaries, that means they can trust you. That's what trust is about. Right. And that's and, and but when you build and when you have a person's trust, now you can step there becomes at some point when a person knows that you're trustworthy. Now you start to begin to build loyalty in there. Yeah, trust is less about lying and more about integrity. Exactly. And people don't understand it because focusing on the lying, once again, takes that attention off the individual right. and puts it on the person who's perceiving the behavior. So and then let's even go back and look at the lying, right, because this all really deals with how to navigate it. Um, you know, lots of times, what do people lie for? They lie because they want to get something that they want, right? They lie because they're trying to cover up something. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and it becomes difficult because it's either face your internal demons or you just create a surface reason, a mm -hmm. distraction. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a, there's a cost to that. Again, because think about how many times that people have been in relationships. I wish I hadn't done that. They regretted it after the relationship was over because they realized this person was an asset still mm -hmm. outside of what they wanted. You know, um, so you're right. I think it comes a lot to, about valuing people, having integrity and having relationship. I just think if you see if you have a relationship with somebody, you want to get what you want. You 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 make your you, you establish relationship if you want it to be long going. No, there's a lot of people that enter in relationships with the goals of getting needs met. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to partner with people in that manner. Mm -hmm. But unless you're planning on rewarding this person with the same type of investment that mm -hmm. you're putting in, then you probably shouldn't do it. But mm -hmm. a lot of relationships are focused on, you know, what can I get? And people will enter in relationship relationships to benefit, you know, financially spiritually, you know, I, I don't have anywhere to live and you do, so let's be together. You know, and then when you're in a relationship, that's where a lot of boundaries get lost. Yeah. Because people who haven't been familiar with setting their own boundaries as single people, when you become a unit, everything gets fluid. Right. It gets really fluid. So if you're not really clear on who you are and what your goals are, and you mesh with someone else, whether they're clear or not, you kind of become a part of that person's life. Absolutely. And that's, if you're not clear on your boundaries before you mesh, you will, somebody will feel taken advantage of. That's right. Yeah. They'll take advantage of you. And part of it, so, but in order to be clear on what your boundaries are, right, um, and so, because this goes both ways, in order for you to be clear on what's good for you, what makes you feel comfortable, you've got to be in touch with your own feelings. And I would just challenge you to be in touch with your own feelings beyond I want, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the area where we're in our lower vibration and we're not really paying attention. There's a lot of opportunity for our toxicity to thrive. I think when you have to take a look at what you need to make you feel comfortable, um, it's different, right? It, it becomes a different thing. So understand who you are, be in touch with your emotions, what you really want. You can tell a person, well, you know, I don't like this because it makes me uncomfortable. But then if you ask yourself why, that could get you a little bit closer to what really makes you uncomfortable and open up the scope of what your bound your true boundary is. You know, can you think of one big one for you? A, a big big a boundary deal breaker mm -hmm. for me? Oh, 
my personal, personal space. Get out of my personal space. There is no reason for you to be in my personal space. Yeah. Unless you're attacking me. Or unless I've requested that you be here, you know, for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, if if someone is in, within my personal space, like within arm's reach, aggressive, not even aggressively, just if they're, it kind of starts to trigger me. Yeah, it yeah. starts to trigger me. And I don't understand why you're so close to me. <laughs> right. I need to, I'm, I may not be responding because I'm trying to understand why you're that close to me. If that's not, you know. Yeah, if you have no ill intent, why are you so close to me? Right. <laughs> right. Is that what need is there? Yeah. You know, and then I'm bracing myself because I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to respond, you know. To yeah, that. And so, I think a lot of that is because I'm used to trauma response, responding in that way. Yeah. I remember I've been um, in like physical altercations. I can remember even being 12, I would black out as, as young as 12. I would just, wow. I would be gone because I'm like, hey, I don't know. And I'm better now um, with the proximity. <laughs> but that is... Mm-hmm. And I, and I haven't um, dealt with physical abuse in relationships or anything like that. It's just the proximity. I really want to know why you're in my space. Because I feel like <laughs> I feel like you can be a little further away. That's all. <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I know for me it is, I, I have the same. Well, I talked about it just a little bit earlier. But, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're that close, and you can be, even be a person I'm a friend with. But that doesn't mean that I need you. You don't see me that I'm not. You don't ever see me in my interaction with people. I'm not that person that gets two inches from your face. I'm not. I, you know, it's a boundary, right? So that's this is a great part of the conversation to illustrate because it's a boundary. Uh, it's another thing that lots of people do, male or female, because I know I get that a lot in the workplace. It was difficult for me to be in the workplace and have people get, this, you know, face close to you and have a conversation. I'm like. I shouldn't be able to smell your breath. No. If I can smell your breath, you're way too close, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, the, yeah, that is, you know. And so, is it can? How do you navigate um, really understanding? Like I said before, you ask. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to be willing to have dialogue about it. You have to be willing to have a dialogue and recognize. I think if you if people begin to recognize that a person's boundaries aren't about you, a person's boundaries are, like I said, are a set of rules that they've put in place that help keep them safe. And I think that's the key. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that other people's boundaries are about them because that's yes. why they internalize and respond the way yes. that they do. Yes. Because they're in, they're internalizing negative feelings about that boundary being set. And it's like it has nothing to do with you, bro or sis. That's right. It's about this person needing their space. Yes. And if you f- get up out of your ego yes. and see that, you won't be so upset. Right. And that takes a lot of doing. It like takes a lot of doing. You're really arguing with people about why you should let them violate, let you violate their space. That's exactly what it is. And and we've so deeply embedded it. It's become so deeply embedded in our culture. And just imagine we've had this great conversation about what consent is. And I'm glad that we were able to communicate it beyond the confines of the idea of sexual assault. Because I think really the part of the goal is to really get us to understand this is how we operate with one. This is modus operandi. This is what we do as people in our culture. And for the people who don't like having their boundaries uh, crossed, we're the ones that are always telling them, you mad now? Yes. Because you're you're stepping over the line that I've drawn of my comfort into my box, making me very uncomfortable, you know, physically, emotionally, however. So, yeah, that's a natural reaction. We've demonized the natural response to having boundaries crossed. Um, So I think it's important. But it's also important to understand that in light of all of these conversations 
I made a Facebook post about it. In light of all of these conversations and understanding of what consent is and all the things that go into it, particularly the intent behind the relationship or the action, now we have to look at, okay, this is our inability to really acknowledge and break down consent and boundaries is the thing that's created this culture. We're now the weakest, typically, I mean, and, and I don't mean that in an offensive way, but women are te- technically considered the weakest in our culture. Um, we're preyed on, you know, and, and because we're the, there's, in, in the hierarchy in the community, the black woman still sits underneath black male privilege. And I know that's a hard term for a lot of people to hear because, you know, our brothers are sitting in a situation of hardship, but it doesn't make, make it any less true. That's very true. Yeah, it's it's just, still at the bottom. It's still at the bottom. It's the same thing. It's just this, it's the same difference between the, the house slaves and the field slaves. You so you all slaves, but the house slaves had privilege. <laughs> it doesn't make it any less true. Um, so I think, you know, if we can really break down to that level and understand um, one another. There's a place of interaction. We're contributing to this culture. This right here. This conversation about consent, I'm hoping that it helps you understand how we contribute to the culture that creates R. Kelly, that makes it possible for a woman to get sexually abused, sexually assaulted, or even even more particularly a man. Same thing, because it happened, you know, Terry Crews is a great example. That's real. This is a black grown man that's strong. He's built like a <laughs> like a brick wall, mm-hmm. but it's not about his strength. It's about a, a member of the highest level on our cultural rung, a white man with a lot of money using his influence and power to touch because there's no way you know Harvey Weinstein there's no there's nobody is going to do those things to nobody in the street they ain't got that kind of bravery it's using that position and in the same way that somebody can use their financial power to touch a black man knowing that he, that cop, let's break it down. Cops do that all the time. I know we don't have it. We don't seem to have it much in the South, but in the North, when the cops are searching you out in the street, and I know they do it some places here. I just don't hear it in Atlanta. Those cops, the first thing they do to antagonize the black man is they go touch his genitalia, knowing that they'll get a response from him. And once he responds naturally with anger, or, you know, some form of upset, then that's when he faces consequences. Because that's a violation of boundaries. It's a violation of his boundaries. And NYPD has mastered that. And we all know this is what happens, right? Anybody will tell you that, uh, you know, New York will tell you this is, this is what happens. It's used as a tactic. So just like it's a tactic that's used against men, our men have to now be conscious about how they use that and their position mm-hmm. and their physical power. And you have to also be aware of being when you're coming across a manipulator of boundaries. That's right. People that you you, you can tell when people challenge your walls and they challenge your rules. Yes. And you need to know when that's happening. How can be, they tell though? They can tell when you made a statement and you're kind of not sure. And that that's not necessarily verbal. You can be giving that away in the way you look, your tone, um, the way the way you complete your conversation. You, know, you can see that you're more open to discussion about a rule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that being more aware of the cues you give off, mm-hmm. 
when you're speaking with a manipulator? Because they're looking for that to see if if they're working. Mm-hmm. You know, if what they're if the conversation is working or making you give. So if there's something that you know, um, if you leave the house and you know, hey, I don't intend to do, I don't intend to have sex tonight. And then you come across someone who has a conversation with you about you will, being willing to have sex. If you really weren't going to have sex that night, you weren't going to have sex that night. So if you're in a position where someone is making you challenge that train of thought, you're probably dealing with a manipulator. Because he's challenging your boundaries and making you reconsider. He's, it's coercion. Yeah, despite the fact that you said no. Mm-hmm. If that person... Man or woman, because women sometimes do it too. Mm-hmm. But um, if that person continues to challenge your boundary despite your no, mm-hmm. you need to be aware of that. It's a, it's going to be persistent. And it's going to be persistent until they get what they want. And if it works the first time, it's a pattern. It's going to become a pattern. Mm-hmm. If it works, that they're going to continue because they recognize. So, and this is another thing about consent. It's how you know there's a cost to not being aware of yourself. Mm. This is what it costs. When you're not aware of yourself, you become a person that's easily targeted by people like that. Um, So by becoming aware of yourself, by becoming uh, in touch with your feelings, that's how you can protect yourself against that male or female about consent. And then it expands once you understand and once you begin to flex that, right, that those ways of practicing and, and paying attention, like Lachey is just saying about, you know, he's he or she. You know, you may say this is what I want and this person is still going on in that area. You know to expect this. What they're showing you is how they're going to overcome your indecisiveness. So now you already know to include that in the pattern of how to deal with them until you decide this isn't the person I want to deal with. I posted a meme yesterday on my Instagram. It said, (laughs) don't blame a clown for being a clown. Ask yourself why Why you keep keep going going to to the the circus. circus. That's the other thing you, 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 that is such a perfect segue. You will never understand, particularly if you're, you know, a person that's run into encounters with, you know, stuff like this before, not knowing, you know, whether he consented, she consented, you know, or whatever have you, you're never, you're not going to find the answer by looking at that person's problems, Mm -hmm. by looking at what that person did, what that person said, how they are. None of that is going to help you understand yourself. It's not going to help you understand why you keep taking your tail down to that circus. Why do you keep going to the circus, honey? That's right. Why do you keep going to the circus? Manipulators look for the people that can't say no. That's right. It's all over your face when you comply to everything and they just ask for a bigger request every time. And if you Mm -hmm. find a way, you're consenting. Whether you say yes or not. If you find a way, you have consented to that manipulation. And what is that example of giving you talking about implicit consent? So implicit, like so. Oh yes. Yeah, so yes, there's verbal consent, nonverbal consent. Uh, a lot of confusion comes from the nonverbal consent because that can be read, you know, based on who's perceiving it. So an example of that would be a wife who has a husband. She finds out husband is cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in a monogamous relationship, presumably. Under the wife's presumption, they're in a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Yet she finds out he's cheating. Mm-hmm. Does the wife stay or leave? Mm-hmm. If she knows he has a problem cheating, then she stays. To an extent, she's implicitly consenting to the new rules of the relationship. 
because the rules are changing because he's he's seeing that he can do this particularly if he knows if he knows that she knows because we know this happens mm-hmm so if he knows that she yeah, knows so he's been and caught, she hasn't said anything. You know, she's, he got, yes, I got a whole family out here 30 minutes away in Alpharetta. Now, does that mean that she wants him to have an affair? No. She's probably facing he or she, whoever, you know, that spouses, they're probably facing a whole set of, of, of triggers and challenges. Mm-hmm. Right. So you choose to stay with this man who you know has cheated on you. You consent to some of the behavior. Now, you can have all kind of conversations and be clear on your boundaries. But you've accepted this marriage to continue to stay in the marriage. See, but here's the thing. I think a lot of people in situations like that, they're stuck. They're triggered by this and they're stuck in it and they're not able to respond. And then so because the, and see, this is the same thing, right? It, it, the, the consent, this is another great example of how this consent goes outside what it looks like you know, in all these different forms, they may not be responding with anger and immediate response to this, but they may be triggered in dealing with internal feelings. Oh, they're still lots processing. Of time, right. Well, lots of times we shut down. When we shut down and knowing something and we shut down and are unable to take action, the world around us still goes on. And the person who we've had this interaction with will perceive that as consent in the absence of our words. Exactly, because you have not vocalized that you were not happy. You have right. not vocalized that this is not going to work for you. To an extent, your presence is an acceptance of the situation because you have not chosen to leave it. So to an extent, yes, you consent to what's happening. You, don't, you may not be happy about it, but your presence, you being there. It is. You know, and there's also you know, levels of manipulation. Once again, is it really, really consent? Because you've been manipulated to an extent to accept the situation. Right. You've been um, had the wool over your eyes for however long this family was going on. You know, this person wasn't necessarily honest with you from the start about this person. So in addition to you processing that your relationship was built on a lie, in addition to you processing that, you probably have been manipulated the entire time. Mm-hmm. And your gut was telling you one thing. So now you're dealing with trust within yourself. You're dealing with, um, can you trust your intuition? Mm-hmm. Can you trust your gut? And all of this, your process and all of this, you're still there. You're still physically there. Yep. So we kind of have to be aware of when we agree to things that we don't agree to. Just because we choose not to take action, we choose not to walk away and choose to change our circumstances. Or, or and, and I think, like I said, I, I'm um, what's really coming up for me is... Um, I feel like I, I, I know that there, I know I've, I can think about interactions I've had with people in difficult moments. And I think the way it happens for a lot of people is that they're stuck. Mm -hmm. They're stuck and they don't respond. Um, and out of that, out of that freeze, you know, that we talked about people's responses, right? There's, there's fight or flight, and that's what most of us know about. And then there's freeze or please. Some people mm-hmm. would do something against their own best interest in the face of something like that, and other people freeze. And I think there's a lot of us that shut down or overwhelmed. And we think like you would think, well, he married me, and in our mar- marriage vows, you know, we talked about being true only to each other. There, is, there are no other people. So just by the fact he knows he's treating, I shouldn't cheating. I shouldn't have to say anything. But if he know if he knows that you know and you haven't said anything, you know you, you we have to be aware. You know, mm-hmm. there's the idealism that we carry, 
and then they're in our own heads, and then there's the reality in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why it becomes important. So I just wanted to be clear because it's not like we're placing blame on her for not doing it, but understanding it's a consequence. You have a responsibility you, to self. To yourself. You have a responsibility to self to maintain your boundaries. To make Nobody else is going to maintain your boundaries nobody. for you. Nobody. Right. And so as long, so, you know, there, there's, there are two sides to consent. Mm-hmm. There's the, there's the side of the person that is, you know, having the experience to be in touch and being able to communicate. Um, and then there's the other person's side of being enabled to understand and, and, you know, if look at your intent for the, your interaction with this person. If you have a genuine intent, then, you know, it might serve you well to just, genuinely be concerned about where that person's comfort level is. And I think that's the thing we don't do. We don't master our relationships in terms of working with one another. And I will say this. um, One thing, you know, my dad was very successful in his career, very, very successful in his career. And one of the thing reasons was is because he had a way of letting the people that he worked with know that he saw them and he heard them. Mm -hmm. And, 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 People, that's that becomes uh, interaction on a different level. You know, people seem to establish rapport with you when they feel like they can have a sense of trust, mm-hmm. that they, that you see them and you hear them. And that's one of the good things I can say that I took away because I think most of my friends say that about me. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that I can see them, I hear them, and you know. So I mean, there's lots of ways to it. There's lots of ways to to working within the confines of this. So I before do, I do want to address. Uh, club culture here in Atlanta mm-hmm. because it's it's a place where um, a lot of sexual assault is commonplace on the dance floor mm-hmm. and uh, given you know we had the recent situation at club opera where a woman was allegedly uh, sexually assaulted on the dance floor some articles are saying she was raped some are saying she was sexually assaulted um, nonetheless she has lawyers and so we're going to let them work that out but um, there was a discussion on how this was allowed to happen and nobody said anything. And my immediate response was, would anybody have noticed that somebody was being sexually assaulted on the dance floor? Because that is what happens at the club. That is why I stopped going to the club. The last few times I had to scrap grown men up off of me. I had to fight. I had to elbow. And the final straw was when my best friend was being hoisted in the air at a club. And I had to pull her out of the air. And the grown man dropped her and swarmed up on me. I said, that's it. This is not the space for me. But that was me and my boundaries. I was I knew that I couldn't stand it, but I was still going because that's where the crew was going. All the girls want to ride out less mob. But if I have to go and I'm physically being traumatized by dancing. And what's what's what concerned me the most about the opera situation is everybody's like, well, that's what happens at the club. Like she's supposed to accept the fact that she was being that women are supposed to accept the fact that this is just how we dance now. And that's just normal. This is not normal. We should expect it to happen. That's what that, that's code for. Expect it to happen. But that's the more, I'm, the more I'm talking to men, like they're allowing, you know, women are allowing themselves to be pumped on, groped, all that, reaching up under the dress. Like I've had men pull my dress up, grab my thighs and ride up my dress. So part of the um, argument against this woman, uh, someone had leaked a video. Allegedly, this was the woman at the club, but she was dancing, doing splits with no underwear on. Talking about, well, this was the girl who said she was getting raped. So I'm like, because of what she wore, <laughs> does that mean it's not true? Or does that mean she was asking for someone to touch her inappropriately? 
But it really is the issue of the culture. It is. It's the issue of the culture. It is the issue of the culture. And I'm hoping that the things that we've discussed in this conversation would really help us understand how it's culturalized, how we normalize it, how many areas, how proliferated the rest of our thinking is with violating people's boundaries and questioning consent. You know, if we can understand <laughs> how deep that is, then maybe we can understand why it's so prevalent and, uh, you know, why sexual violence is so prevalent in these spaces. And just understand, anytime you accept someone violating your boundaries, you're accepting a violation of consent. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. sets the standard right, for how you're treated. It does. It does. You know, and then, but see, then it becomes harder. It becomes more difficult for us to overcome when it's a cultural thing. Because now really, and I feel you on that. That's the reason why I don't go to clubs. Because you, you go into that space. People tell you, you know, it, I will say to this, and then I'll say this. And I remember it happened to me in college. I remember it happened to me early, early in college on the dance floor. About four dudes ran up on me. The music stopped. And I'm in the middle of the floor dancing. That's I just like to dance. And I'm dancing. And these four dudes, all I know is four dudes at the same time swarmed on me, started pumping on me, and I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of me getting any understanding, people looked at me like I did something wrong, and that's not cool. And until we get to that place where we recognize what it looks like, mm-hmm. that's, that's when we're going to have some, some change in this behavior. So listen, I'm grateful that you all joined us today. Um, I hope that you took something away from this conversation. Um, it was all said and done in love. Um, I love you all, and I want you to come back next week and join us for more Official D of D. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. at officialdfd.com. Follow us on social media at Official D of D. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some.